In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to talk about something that affects all Canadians. That's whether or not you have a will in place and what that will mean for your beneficiaries, for everyone that you love, that you care about, and really what's going to happen to all of your assets when you move along. Exactly. We're going to talk about an important subject that not many people think is really important. And to prove that point, did you know that about one in two Canadians feel that the government and the courts are the ones who should decide what happens to their estate, their investments and everything they own after they pass? We were blown away when we saw that stat. Um, Angus Reid did a poll back in 2018. And I mean, the government did one in 2019. And the results were pretty well the same. It's improved slightly. And I mean, we have heard that through the pandemic, more people were feeling a little bit more motivation to go and get their affairs in order. But regardless of age, regardless of health, regardless of status, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you're divorced, there's got to be someone or some organization that you want to materially benefit from your life's work. And that's really what a will is all about. It's giving you the power to choose, to make that decision. Where does all of my stuff go? Exactly. It can go to your kids, it can go to a charity, or you can combine all of your assets into a trust and give it to your cat. <laughs> you actually can. Oh my goodness. And not only that, you can make one of your kids the trustee of that trust, and they will have to manage the cat trust fund for the period of time that you've specified, usually the lifetime of said cat. As strange as it sounds, this is actually something I've had come up in a conversation with a client, so I'm sorry, prospective client, uh, that ended up going in a different direction, but um, these things do happen. So there you go. Real life is stranger than fiction. 
Yeah, people are strange in life and afterwards. So let's kind of circle back. So what we want to talk about today is what a will, how it works. We also want to branch off into like probate fees and executive responsibilities and a couple other things we think will help you understand this subject better and be able to get this done for yourself, either as getting the will or even being an executor or even just understanding how this all works. So let's just start right from the beginning and talk about what exactly a will is. Well, when you picked up the document, it says your last will and testament of so-and-so. It's essentially your wishes. So like we'd said a little bit earlier, it's a paper that is designed to be the roadmap of everything that you own, everything that you owe, anything that you have control over. What do you want to happen to it? So wills can be as simple as Everything I have goes to my spouse. If my spouse is not there, it's going to go to my kids equally. Or it can be as complicated, really, as you want to make it. And like Cam alluded to, there are different tools in the estate planning world, like trusts, things like that, where you can have control beyond the grave, if that's something that appeals to you. But for our purpose in this conversation today, we want to talk just about the will. So essentially what it is, is your lawyer who you should be meeting with to create this document. Exactly. It can't just be written on a cocktail napkin. This is a official legal document that needs lawyers and notaries. Oh, and actually in some provinces, there is a thing where the courts will recognize scribbles on the back of a napkin done in contemplation of your passing. Um, now, not everywhere, of course, so make sure that you understand your province's rules and regulations. And of course, <laughs> we never recommend the paper napkin route. We always recommend the speaking to a qualified lawyer who specialized in the estate planning area to get this done and get this done properly for you because they'll know all the questions to ask. Ask. They'll know all the ins and outs. They'll also be checking for things like capacity, undue influence, things that you don't want to come into question later on if there's maybe some sticky family situations lingering in the background. So always best to cough up the couple hundred bucks or whatever it ends up being in your area and uh, just get this thing done once and for all. And then really once it's done, unless there's a material change to your life situation, most people, I mean, we've seen some wills that are pretty old, right? Most people just kind of let it ride. But um, getting it done properly from the get-go is a great way to start. Well, I think we kind of covered enough of what the basics are of will. I think we should start talking about what an executor is, because really this is the most important person aside from yourself in this whole will process, because really it's their job to help facilitate your wishes so you can be as loving or maniacal as you desire. Well, that's true. You do want someone that will, after receiving the notification that you've chosen them to be your executor, uh, preferably during their lifetime and not as a great surprise when they've gotten your will for the first time, you want someone that will actually accept the role because the executor does have the right to refuse. And if they do refuse, it can get thrown back into, depending on your province, whatever the, the governmental agency is there. Yeah, so sometimes people will pick multiples just in case. Like we had a case at Braun not long ago where 
there were three executors and two of them opted out. So we were left with just the one, but at least there was just the one to still work with. That's right. And the reasons that people might say no is that being an executor can take up a lot of time and it can be a big responsibility. Some people will put in their will a clause to pay the executor either a certain amount or a percentage of the balance of the residue of the estate. So basically give them some money for the time and effort that they're going to be putting into this, but not everyone does. So as the person taking on the role of the executor, you're not necessarily guaranteed that you're going to be paid for this, but at the same time, you're actually taking on quite a bit of personal responsibility and potentially liability as well as you have to give a full account of all of your decisions, uh, any financial transactions that you undertook, that kind of thing to any beneficiary of the estate really that asks for it. Well, and not just other beneficiaries, it could also be people who were left out of the will. It could be to the courts, it could be to CRA and a host of other agencies, regulators, or just people you've never heard of before. Well, but let's say your family's pretty straightforward. You're confident with the beneficiaries, or maybe you're an only child and you are the only beneficiary, which is going to make this process a lot easier. The kinds of things that you're agreeing to do as you step into the role of being an executor are things like um, making those funeral arrangements if they're not made already, any burial decisions, things like that. You have to actually find the will. So hopefully you know where it is. And now that's usually what happens if you've been notified ahead of time. And then you're kind of just kind of fumbling around going, oh, what security box did mom or dad leave this in kind of thing. But um, the next step is really just coming up with an accounting of everything that the deceased person owned and owed during their lifetime at the point of death. And um, we can get into this in greater detail, maybe in another podcast, but there's a whole area of planning and usually in contemplation of these things before someone has actually passed, that's when they'll hire a financial planner like us to look at all of the implications of their different types of assets and what will happen from a tax point of view. Of course, you can hire an accountant for that as well, but as financial planners, we can help with that too. Well, exactly. We can help make sure your investments and insurance are all lined up to handle this stuff properly, especially when things like estates and properties are being switched around because people inheriting could get hit with the tax bill. So sometimes they use investments or insurance to kind of offset this stuff. So accountants can help in one area, we can help with another, but it's good just to get this stuff planned out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually the estate is responsible for the taxes. So part of the planning process is making sure that the estate has enough money so that there is something left over to distribute to the beneficiaries. Exactly. Which is why it's good to have a competent executor who doesn't make rash decisions with the estate money and all of a sudden CRA comes knocking. Oh, absolutely. And some institutions will actually restrict what the executor can do or restrict the amount of money that the executor has access to. I've seen some banks limit it to like $25,000 um, where the balance of all of the monies that that person had will be put in an estate account with the financial institution that essentially held the money before until they receive probate documents. And we'll talk a little bit more about that process 
in a little bit, but probate basically means you've gotten the green light, everything's settled, you're all clear now, you're settled up with the CRA, and it's time to distribute the estate. But um, let's talk about the executor a little bit more. So after they've made the funeral arrangements and they've found that last will and they're confident that that in fact is the most recent and up-to-date will for that individual, they're going to be putting together of all a list of all the assets and the liabilities. So they're going to be looking for bank accounts, real estates, investments. So that could be RSPs or RIFs. It could be TFSAs, non-registered accounts, uh, any stock portfolios, any trading platforms, and personal items as well. If they have material value, everything kind of has to be written out and there has to be a determination done as to, like you said, what of these items are going to be taxable, which are not going to be taxable. And, and that's the point where people usually hire accountants specializing in estate administration. So then once the executor has a handle on kind of what's in the estate, there are a couple tax returns that are going to need to be filed, one during the person's life up to their date of death, and then a final one for the estate as well. And that's when the obligations to the CRA come due and really have to be dealt with. And all of that stuff has to be handled before the estate can be distributed. Oh, and I should mention as well, um, before any of that is done, the debts, of course, of the estate have to be paid and there has to be a notice put out for creditors. Uh, so it's usually done in the paper, things like that. Just if there's anyone that feels like they have a claim on the estate, there has to be a reasonable period of notice given so that they can decide if they want to pursue that or not. Now, once the beneficiaries have been notified, they might be requesting financial information about the estate. They might be interested in what their share is going to be. Really, until all the taxes are settled, it's not advisable to be distributing anything. And I mean, that's part of the restrictions that come in with probate. You really don't want to be paying out money to beneficiaries as an executor and then finding out that you owe the CRA some money and now you can't get it back from the beneficiaries and you could be personally on the hook of, for finding that money somewhere. Yeah, it's not like the movies where you go from the funeral to the lawyer's office and he starts handing out checks. This is actually a, a bit more of a complicated process that can take some time. And because it can be ongoing, right, it can go anywhere from six months to a couple of years. As the executor, you have to be keeping record of all expenses that you incur along the way. And that's kind of part of the accounting that you could be required to provide to the beneficiaries if they challenge some of the decisions that you've made. So when we say it's not something to take on lightly, that's what we mean. And to the people that are making their wills and thinking about naming their executors, that's a very good reason to put an incentive in your will for that person to act, whether it's a little bit of extra money or a percentage of the estate value, depending on what you have for the amount of work and for the stress and the heartache that they're going to have to go through dealing with paperwork, dealing with the CRA and all of that. It's certainly worth a few dollars out of your hands. Like anything else in this world, work done deserves compensation. So the executor role, just because it's family, shouldn't be treated any differently in my mind. Speaking about compensation, uh, we should probably start talking about probate fees, where the government takes their compensation for your death. 
Sure. So let's talk about what probate actually means and why people will go to great lengths to avoid it. Um, And really why there's a whole area of estate planning that is specifically around finding legal ways to do so. Yeah, it's also why we really like using seg funds for investments because it really helps avoid some of these costs. It does. It'll take some assets right out of the estate. But that's a conversation for another day. So probating a will is essentially taking it to the court and confirming that it's legally valid. And a big part of that is confirming that there are no other wills or no other documents that in your province or area could read like a will that date later than this particular will that you have in your hands. Exactly. There can't be a bloody scrap of paper with I leave everything to mittens somewhere. Oh, that cat has come back, hasn't he? And there's slightly different rules by provinces. I know Quebec, uh, some notaries can actually probate certain types of wills, but typically it's the courts (laughs) that are going to be doing this. Now, like you mentioned, probate is not free. Probate fees, they vary so widely across the provinces. So in Canada, we don't have inheritance tax like they do in the States, but what we do have is these probate fees. They can sometimes be called estate administration taxes because really that's what they are. And what they usually are is a percentage of the balance of anything that flows through your will. So the estate planning portion of the conversation is if you are able to take more assets outside of your will, they don't get hit with the probate fees because (laughs) they're not in there to get probated or to get um, these fees applied to. So for example, if you're in Ontario, they have a scale that increases based on the side of the estate. So the percentage actually increases on estates that are greater than $50,000. So in the first $1,000 of an estate, there aren't any probate fees. But after that, it's about half a percentage per $1,000. And then over $50,000, there's a $250 fee plus an additional 1.5% on every thousand dollars. So, okay, one and a half percent per thousand. At first glance, maybe it doesn't sound huge, but my goodness, if you have a house in your estate that's going to get probated, that adds up pretty quick. So here in BC, there's no probate fees on estates under 25,000, but there's a flat fee for estates over 25,000. Um, and we have a bit of a graded system as well. Between twenty five and fifty thousand, there's a two hundred and eight dollar flat fee, plus point six percent per thousand. And over fifty thousand, it's a three hundred fifty eight dollar fee plus one point four percent per thousand. And of course, if you're in a different province, it'll be a completely different uh, ball game. So feel free to to look into that a little bit as well. Yeah, we just want to kind of give you a quick look at just what some of these fees look like. So this can add up, especially now with real estate the way it is, or even if someone's had a a good amount of money left in their RIF or or their investments, this can eat away at a good chunk of it. And estate planning can be hard enough as it is to balance the ins and the outs. And this just adds on another layer of money coming out of the estate, which won't go to creditors, beneficiaries, or other places. Yes, and we've noticed that most people that haven't taken the time to do specific estate planning, pretty well everything gets thrown into this probate process, and it can add up to an unexpectedly large bill. 
And depending on the assets that are going in on there, it's not just probate. There can be different layers of taxation on different assets that get added to the mix as well. With these probate fees, they do seem like they're going to compound pretty quickly and it can affect when money and assets is passed around. But uh, one question I have is what happens if it's a person leaving things to their spouse? Does this still get applied with probate fees? There are a lot of rules out there where you can have certain exemptions made from spousal transfers or spousal rollovers. So there's certain types of assets like uh, RSPs are a good example. Houses can be a good example depending on how the ownership structure is registered. So really it's going to come down to when you were setting up that asset, how did you set it up? Did you set it up with a beneficiary? Is that beneficiary someone that you can roll money over to like a spouse? Or if it was a property or a house, did you set it up as joint tenancy? Or did you set it up as tenancy in common, which can have very different implications as to whether or not a portion of that is deemed to be sold at your passing. So really what we look at first is the ownership structure the type of contract that you've used, but there are absolutely ways out there to get a lot of what you have in your hands right now to your spouse without triggering it going into your estate through your will and ultimately through the probate process. Okay, so to kind of wrap this up, let's go back to the very beginning where we talked about how one in two people don't have a will. Let's just cover quickly what is going to happen to their investments, home assets when they pass. Okay, so let's talk about the unlucky bunch that find themselves in a situation where the person who they are now a beneficiary of has passed away and there is no will and the estate is kind of left in limbo. So the first thing is we call that um, that process, they're said to have died intestate. So that essentially means that there's been no instruction given about how things are supposed to be divided. And I'll talk about what happens here in BC a little bit. It has to go all the way up to the BC Supreme Court for a grant of administration. And someone has to step forward and say, I want to be the administrator. I want to be the person who's going to manage and distribute this estate. So that sounds very familiar to uh, what we were talking about with the executor. And they're going to have to do a lot of the same things. So creating that inventory um, valuation of assets and debts, figuring out who the beneficiaries and the next of kin are. I mean, things that we didn't go into detail were things like canceling subscriptions, notifying pensions, government agencies like CPP, uh, redirecting mail, taking care of personal effects and things like that around the house. There's a whole segment that can be done about digital assets as well. Uh, that is now a very real piece of property that is considered to be belonging to the deceased. So there's rules and regulations around all of that, as well as any online banking, things like that, that they may have had set up. So this this person in this case, they will still have to discharge debts, they'll still have to file the tax return, they'll still have to sell any assets necessary to do this, and they'll still be kind of at the mercy to a certain extent of the beneficiaries or the heirs that may choose to challenge this. But um, just as, as a quick caution, 
a grant of administration here in BC, it can be a lot of paperwork. It can involve things like letting every person who can be entitled to a share of the estate know about it and not just know about it, have a say about it as well, right? So not necessarily the road you want to go down. And even when the person is named, there's still going to be a lot of gray area around who actually inherits the money. The people typically think, oh, it'll go to my wife, it'll go to my kids, it'll go to my next of kin, that kind of thing. But here in BC, and I know BC is a little bit different than some other areas, we have something called the Wills, Estates, and Succession Act, or WESA. And it essentially goes through the order of who would receive money and how much they would receive. So it may not necessarily be all to the spouse, depending on where you are. I mean, some provinces have caps as well in terms of how much can pay out to a spouse versus kids versus things like that. Um, So the Wills and Estates Succession Act here in BC is very much a document that addresses all of the what ifs. So if you're in BC, that would be something that I would encourage you to either look at or take to your lawyer's office so that they can clarify it for you. Or if you're in another province, that's something that they can look at as well. Well, I guess one way we can kind of sum up what happens when you don't have a will set up is it just can cause more grief and pain and frustration for the people who would otherwise be your inheritors, like primarily like your spouse and your kids and your close family, and then just kind of branches out from there. And it can just get even more complicated and frustrating if no one is willing to kind of step up and be the administrator. And then all of a sudden you got to get someone from the courts and it could cost tens of thousands of dollars for that kind of administration to happen. So really we're just trying to encourage you to go have a 20, 30 minute conversation with your lawyer, get the paperwork drawn out so that things will be smoother when the estate starts to get broken up and cleared out. And it's just one more layer of grief and frustration the people you care about don't have to deal with. Well, that's right. This is already a very stressful time. So when you compare the cost of getting it done today and really ultimately having your own wishes executed the way that you wanted them to be, as opposed to all this uncertainty and potential for fights and potential for preferential shares with different courts not being aligned with what you actually wanted. I mean, we know in certain provinces, sometimes even a spouse will just get a percentage or a um, a fixed dollar amount up to a cap, and then there might be a division between them and their children. So it might not be what you think in your mind. So the best way to figure that out, like Cam was saying, is go to see a lawyer spend the couple hundred bucks, have the conversation, get it documented correctly. And then you can proudly say that you're not in that half of the population that does not have their affairs in order. And just as a side note, don't let your marital status or don't let your age stop you from doing this. We've unfortunately seen people put in these positions at all different ages, I've seen people that are divorced who didn't have a will in place and it caused all kinds of chaos for their kids ultimately getting what they would have wanted their kids to get because they had entered a previous or they had entered another common law relationship 
in this world that we live in where blended families and divorces and second marriages or third marriages are so common, having the who gets what written in stone becomes so much more important. So if you get nothing else out of today, let that be our encouragement to you. With a will, it's very black and white. You either have one or you don't. And the implications to your estate and to the people that you love are very, very different. So take the time, do a little research, make a phone call if you don't want to do the research. And uh, we really do strongly encourage you to get this checked off your to-do list in the near future. So that's it for us today. If you need help with your own estate planning, or if you have a family member that's going to need some help with their estate planning, please feel free to reach out with us while there's time to do so, so that you can get things set up the way that you want. Of course, we're not the lawyers, we don't do the wills, but we can help with the estate planning process with removing things from probate depending on what we're able to do. Sometimes there's work to be done with life insurance, things like that, to add more value to the estate. So feel free to reach out to us at Braun Financial, braunfinancial.com. And until then, take care and all the best. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.